Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello, this is just a note to say that this podcast episode will contain spoilers and some adult themes, including references to scenes of a sexual nature and strong bloody violence. Listening discretion is advised. You have been warned. And we're live. I'm a homosexual. I have loved you the way they said. You fancy gears. I'm having a proper full-on gay crisis. Hello and welcome to Gay Actually. Thanks for being here. It's gonna be a fun old gay time. Pitch Perfect is a lesbian musical. <laughs> of course, of course. I want to carry off badass lesbian chic like Kate Blanchett can. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Gay Actually, a series as part of the UK Film Review podcast where we discuss LGBTQ plus cinema. My name is Amber and as always I am joined by my incredible co-host and wonderful friend Joyce. Hi. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. How are you? Good, yeah, not bad. I feel like every time we sit down to record I'm like, hey girl, long time no see. How's it going? It has been a while, but we should be recording our next episode on our own channel, Gay Actually, in person. Yes. In two weeks. Yes, we are doing a very late night recording sesh right now. Um, because Virtual, yeah. We are both busy. We have full-time jobs. We, well, one of us is popular. It's not me, but... <laughs> Please, this is ridiculous. <laughs> what an accusation. <laughs> How dare you? Um, yes, next time we will be recording in person. So um, our next episode for our Gay Actually channel will be coming out around Halloween. So do check us out over Ooh. there. Wow. Was that a good ghost? That's almost as good as the pathetic fallacy from the intro of this episode. <gasps> I'm so excited to hear the intro. Ooh. 
Um, <laughs> and also, we also do collabs with other podcasts. If you're listening to this, we did an episode with Queer Girl Film Club. If you've come from there, welcome. Hello. We're very, very happy to have you. Um, if you are one of our listeners, also hello. Good to see you again. Um, please check out Queer Girl Film Club as we did an episode on San Junipero from Black Mirror, which again kind of fits in with the Halloweeny spoopy theme. Yeah, it's so, really eerie. Yeah, pretty pretty intense. Uh, what would happen if you were uploaded to the cloud after you died? <laughs> All of these questions are talked about on the episode, um, and the. Lads over there are lovely, lovely people. We had such a blast filming with them. Filming with them? Maybe next time. We had a blast recording with them in Manchester, um, which feels like a lifetime ago now. It really does. It's been two months. It was two months ago. That Airbnb we stayed in was straight out of a uh, Halloween film. Oh, yeah. That was a horror (laughs) film right there. And we did get half our money back, so (laughs) thank you. you. I was like, here's £12.50, Joyce. You're welcome. <laughs> Sponsored by Airbnb. <laughs> I. It's not. It's definitely not. <laughs> Airbnb, if you're listening, sorry. Um, one, The one and only time in my life I was a Karen. Um, I wasn't even. Oh, God. Let's not get into it. But I literally it was, totally was like. I, literally I was, was the one like, losing my uh, mind. I was the one that was super upset about yeah. the curtain situation. That was upsetting. And bless you. <laughs> I mean, I sur- we both survived the night. Unless we we're ghosts now and we're not aware. We're totally good. <laughs> <laughs> this is Halloween. This is Halloween. Monster Mash. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, anyway, Joyce, yeah. for this, I mean, this is coming out before Halloween, but in the spirit of Halloween, Joyce, what are we going to be talking about this episode? We're going to talk about something really interesting, kind of the eerie macabre. Um <laughs> we're gonna talk about some films mainly one film that is a bit how would you even describe it we're gonna talk about cruising today yes so um for those that don't know uh and aren't queer history nerds like myself uh cruising is a film that came out in 1980 um it stars al pacino in a rogue uh, twist of events playing an undercover cop he's basically trying to find a murderer who keeps killing gay people in the underground parts of the meatpacking district or the west village um, in the states or in wikipedia's words keeps slaying homosexuals <laughs> yes al pacino slaying homosexuals in 1980 mm. um to answer your question This film I would describe as bizarre, but I don't mean that in a negative way. Intriguing might be a better word. Uh, Ambiguous also might be another word. (laughs) Basically, I'm not really sure where I land on it. Um, It was directed by um, William Friedkin, who also did The Exorcist. So again, with the Halloween theme, um, The Exorcist is arguably one of the most famous horror films in the world. Um, yeah. He also did 
The French Connection, 12 Angry Men, and The Boys in the Band, which is another gay film which came out 10 years before Cruising in 1970. makes you think about William Friedkin, right? Did you have the same... What do you mean? Thoughts? Because I'm like, if I were to direct (laughs) movies... Would I direct a straight movie? No, I wouldn't because I'm gay. So why would you direct two gay movies if you're straight? Ah, good point. <laughs> I'm just putting it out Has there. anyone read his Wikipedia page? Because I have not. Well, um, <laughs> let's look at it right now. William Friedkin, <laughs> my guy. So The Boys in the Band is in queer cinema one of the most celebrated queer films that represents gay culture uh, in the 70s um it you know it was, came out in 1970 when things for queer people laws and restrictions were starting to get a bit relaxed but not quite people are trying to figure out who they are in this new landscape so it's a really powerful groundbreaking film and then 10 years later he directs cruising which is a really dark seedy negative depiction of homosexual life right before the AIDS epidemic and with kind of 10 years after this moment where it's like maybe it's kind of maybe getting a little bit more positive and then cruising just comes along and is like you (laughs) (laughs) yeah no honestly when I read the description on wikipedia I was like this is gonna be bad yeah 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 I've seen it it's it's in so many documentaries like being like ew I think looking back on it now from where we are now in 2023, almost 24, mm-hmm. we can look at it in a different light. But imagine being in 1980 and watching this film. I think it's just a completely different perspective. And I think this is why we can say that the film was good. Like, I will say that I think this was a good film. Yeah. But from the perspective of how does this represent queer people, it's obviously not. And it's using like horror and thriller to attack gay people in a lot of ways. Yeah, this is this is the thing. This is what this is such a good point as well. Is that yes, whilst it's a fundamentally good and well made film, there's a lot to unpack in terms of um, queer identity and representations of sexuality. This is a prevalent film in the documentary, The Celluloid Closet. I feel like I reference this documentary so much but there's a really important section about cruising where future screenwriters have said when i was 19 and in the closet i went to go and see cruising and i was terrified like this is the impact that it had so many lgbt plus groups at the time lobbied against the film saying this is dangerous this will kill people and like they were protesting about it and that makes a lot of sense um yeah if you've seen cruising if you're listening and you haven't seen cruising go and watch, watch it. it don't watch it um you can get it for free on youtube it's on youtube someone's uploaded <laughs> it, really? it someone's uploaded it for free on youtube wow. i will say if you've seen the exorcist you know that william friedkin's a very talented filmmaker mm-hmm. and i really think this is a good film um the content is at your own discretion we'll yeah. definitely say that yeah, I think now we can look at it with a lens of this is interesting yeah. and 
there's definitely something there that we can explore about we'll talk about this later about um homophobia towards yourself stuff like that yeah but definitely if we put this in context of the times and especially if we think about like new york during that time super damaging and, and this I think is you can all acknowledge that this is it and this is right right on the brink of the first aids cases in new york like right. this comes out at a really scary moment for queer people yeah so aids in new york um started being documented mid to late 1970s actually damn um, but in december 1980 the first death of AIDS appears in New York. See, there you so go. The year that the film came out. Yeah, there you go. So this is a really, really scary time. Yeah. But anyway, let's get into it. Um, would you like to do a... I mean, I kind of did a little summary, but would you like to kind of jump into the beginning of the film? I find this is one of those films where I find it really difficult to give a synopsis because it's confusing. Yeah. I don't know if you felt the same way, but I had a lot of, oh, this is happening. No, this is happening. And then this is happening. What's yeah. actually happening, right? But basically, the film starts with us seeing how the police department in New York is dealing with several deaths that have happened over a span of time, all presumed gay men. And they think a serial killer that's, um, killing specifically homosexuals is um on the loose yeah so they are trying to find him and they appoint one of their um kind of low rank officers to become an undercover detective because he's young and pretty he's young and pretty and he looks like all the victims yeah and yeah and <laughs> and they promise him that you know, instead of kind of going through all the phases of being a police officer, he can go right to being a detective if he does this undercover job. And this is our protagonist, Steve, played by Al Pacino. Yep. Um, and the thing is, with, with, the, with the murders of the gay victims, it's not just gay men, but it's gay men in very specific BDSM, S&M communities where, like, specific sex clubs in the meatpacking district or the West Village and they're basically lured out of these clubs with the promise of fun time and then they get murdered afterwards. Yeah. So it's like, here's a direct correlation between sexual pleasure and death. Wow. What a message for the queer youth. Oh, yeah. And if you have sex, even... you will die. Yes. And it's not even a message. It's literally shown. Yeah. It's There's a direct parallel between um this is super early on in the film mm -hmm. direct parallel between a murder and a sexual act like it's yes. the same thing is happening but it's it's just a knife instead of you know something else mm -hmm. oh so it's very clear what this is about also another interesting moment a bit later on in the film is that there there's another so throughout the film we have moments of victims being murdered and we see that and it, it's brutal and unforgiving but one of the times about halfway through the film there's a really brutal murder and then it just cuts to steve the protagonist having sex with his girlfriend yeah because we need to affirm his 
masculinity. Yeah, because it's like murder, 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 murder. Oh, look. This is um heterosexual sexual intercourse. And Steve's like, everything's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so the Wikipedia synopsis for this film does say that Steve starts to struggle a lot with his own identity while being undercover in these homosexual sex clubs. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So we kind of explore this journey that Steve goes on. We get to know him in context of his wife. And then he has to step out, go on this secret undercover mission that she doesn't know anything about. And we simultaneously explore his personal journey. And like you say, it inter- it intercuts with his wife. Like he goes back a few times and it's always after a moment mm. where you start to doubt his own identity. This is this is what's really interesting as well is that like obviously at this time, if an actor took a gay role, everyone would be like, is he gay? And like Al Pacino, such a like prolific masculine figure in cinema. I thought it was really interesting that he took this role. I do wonder why. Um, but also what you're saying about Steve as a character. I did kind of make a note that at the start when he makes friends with his neighbour, is it Bobby? Is that his name? Ted. It's Teddy. Oh, thank you. When he first makes friends with Ted, his neighbour, um, who's quite openly gay, and they have a quite a open conversation about gay erotica that Steve's found in his room left by a previous tenant. Um, I, it kind of struck me that Steve wasn't, like, he didn't come across weird or uncomfortable about hanging out with a gay man. Like, even though he's doing his job, like, immediately he's like... Like, because you think at that time like a, a police officer if they were they'd be like no way i'm not pretending to be a gay person i'm not hanging out with gay people like like they wouldn't understand or like have a concept of that at all do you know what i mean i feel like so for him to immediately be like ted's immediately talking about his boyfriend greg who is a dick, um and steve just listens he's like but he's not just listening to like get intel He's actually genuinely interested in having the conversation and it doesn't show any type of disgust or disgust or discomfort. Yeah. Well, this whole thing with Steve going into this environment or this world really is that we don't really see him adjusting to anything. He kind of fits right in from the start. And we definitely have this unreliable narrator, um, to use like literary terms, whatever in film, but it does feel like that. Like we have this protagonist who supposedly is undercover, but he seems to fit in quite right from the start. He just slots right in there. So I feel like from the start, you're just not quite sure what's going on. Yeah. And it's either parts are missing or we are just missing something that's going to be revealed to us later. For sure. It's but really ambiguous, something isn't it? Fishy. There's something fishy about Steve, the police officer. Something that is a little bit fruity. (laughs) Um, If we kind of want to go back and talk through the film from the start. At the start, we have two trans women who are sex workers. And they kind of have that relationship with the police that we've seen in other media. Right? Yeah. And they get sexually assaulted by two police officers. That bit's really interesting as well. Because at BFI Flair one of the leading films was called The Stroll and it's about trans women who were sex workers during that time 
talking about their experience on the meatpacking district working what they called the stroll. So it was really interesting to kind of see that in there in a contemporary time. Yeah. It kind of sets us up from the start of the film that the police is unreliable. Yeah. And even after when one of them is in the actual police office and is talking to the head detective, he doesn't really care about what they have to say, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're they're talking about these two cops that assaulted them and there's not much care given. Yeah. And I think kind of from the start, we get this idea of, okay, the cops are unreliable. But then we get this protagonist who is a cop. And then we get this cop who goes into a world where he seems to fit in right away. So yeah. this is, and obviously, I don't know what you classify this film as. I think this is kind of a thriller. I don't know if it's quite horror, but it's definitely dark. Yeah, I'd say thriller for sure. But kind of not knowing where your allegiance lies adds to that tension. I that love we have that throughout the whole film. I love yeah, that in the film, yeah. not knowing where who we can trust, kind of thing. Exactly, and we really can't. And it's established from the start. Yeah. And even if you acknowledge it or not, because maybe we might be predisposed to trust mm-hmm. authority, police. Whether you do or not, it doesn't really matter. We are kind of in society told to right so we should trust the police but then you kind of from the start get that we shouldn't and then we get this protagonist and we're not sure and it's all it's all very confusing so as a audience member you're kind of distanced from the start that's a very interesting point and especially a queer audience member as well knowing how police institutions have treated our communities in the past and still in the present um that adds another layer for sure yeah but i like with with steve i really like how he kind of starts to learn the subtleties of the gay culture that he's going into and the little silent signals and like little clues and looks like when that for example when he goes into the shop with the handkerchiefs and the man explains what all of the handkerchiefs mean in terms of what he would want sexually. And then you cut to a future scene and he's got a handkerchief in his pocket. And you're like, oh, oh, which one did he say that meant? And you're trying to remember which one, which one I it literally represented. Googled, I literally Googled which one was handkerchiefs. It? I don't remember. What did he have? Do you remember the color? It was a yellow one. Let's look it up. Um, okay. But I can't remember what I was just like. Oh, okay, we're we're doing this. But it really reminded me of that Oscar Wilde esque thing, where it was like if you gave someone a green carnation or if you displayed a green carnation, it would mean it meant you were fruity, and like <laughs> lesbians with violets as well. It was kind of like an Ooh. interesting contemporary representation of that. Okay, so yellow here. <laughs> this is just, you're gonna have to cut this out. <laughs> yellow means. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, in context of this being like a BDSM, yeah, underground scene, which we are, we we do know this from the start, and I will say we notice from the start now where we are now looking at this film, but I really do wonder because there's no other context of homosexual communities yeah. at that time but the BDSM community in this film. I wonder that for people that weren't aware of this kind of community 
if this is how they saw homosexuals exclusively because well, it's of, not yeah of course obviously yeah and because... this is one of those things about this film that is really problematic and bad yeah. especially at the time where it came out is that the only homosexual representation you get is hardcore bdsm underground clubs well this was the thing it was one of the one of the the mainstream gay films of its time or like it was one of the mainstream films that represented gay life but it only represents a part of gay life yes obviously some queer people like that kind of thing totally cool be safe and all that jazz don't murder anyone (laughs) (laughs) but like you make such a good point watching that and also being a young gay person in the closet watching that and being like i don't like this like is this what i have to do to be happy it's like oh god and you're seeing and steve for the first time is seeing all of these gay sex acts in in person that he may have not been exposed to before and he's just watching it's like very voyeuristic in the way that the camera watches the whole thing about just bdsm in general how it's represented in film Mm. is always kind of in a dark sense can you think of another example well we just had this collaboration with queer girl film club about san junipero for example the bdsm section in that was yes oh my god yes of course i completely forgotten about that there's there's so many bdsm is always badly represented yeah always something scary and seedy but actually um you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be that like you, you know I, I mean i don't I, know. I don't know anything but you know when it's consensual when it's in a safe environment what's the big deal also it's not just in queer communities it's in straight that communities too but it almost yeah it almost seems easy to associate it especially at that time with queer communities because it alienates them even more yeah deviance that's the word homophobes like to use deviance yeah and what would the excitement be if you were slaying homosexual men who are in a family unit slay (laughs) (laughs) slay in a family unit um living normal lives yeah and having vanilla sex lives like yeah what's fun about that right um and Obviously, I don't agree with that. The whole point is this is a film that's meant to be provocative. Yeah. It is meant to um, elicit some dark feelings. Mm-hmm. And it does. And this is why we're talking about this this month specifically. But in light of the time it was made in, it is scary to just see one facet of homosexual community yeah. or existence or life that's probably the only mainstream example that lots of people saw because right. al pacino you go and see an al pacino film right and then you're like why is he watching men do these things i know you and know? it's quite explicit did you find as well that it was quite i found it was very explicit yeah, basically every everything they don't hold back i have put a content warning at the start of this episode because watch this film at your own discretion there is a lot of sexual content. It was originally in a in the states rated X, and uh, William Friedkin cut forty minutes out of the film, so it got an R rating. I'm telling you, this man is a little bit fruity. <laughs> <laughs> 
William, were you fruity? <laughs> were you fruity? William, William is fruity. He actually only died two months ago, which we discussed before recording, RIP. which I didn't realize. Me either. I mean, listen, I'm a big fan of The Exorcist and 12 Angry Men. Yeah. Yeah. So, RIP, William Friedkin. And he's a really good filmmaker. Yeah. He really um, is. Yeah. I felt like. Speaking of the filmmaking, I really was intrigued with where the camera was going. I really, I like to pay attention to what the camera's doing because it can tell us so much, right? Like mm-hmm. film theories coming back. I felt like the camera was the killer. The camera gave us the perspective of the killer the whole time. And yeah. I don't, I don't think that gives any spoilers, but I think... I kind of felt like it was watching the scene like the killer would because the way it pans round to show everyone and everything, it's like trying to pick someone out from the crowd. Like, who can I lure away? Um, And then when the killing happens, the camera follows what happens to the victim. So it felt really aggressive, but also really foreboding and eerie when the camera's panning around you're like oh oh," it's like classic thriller like what's gonna come popping out at me (laughs) very much very much and i think this is one of the prime examples of a horror film yeah where like sexuality and horror is one of the same yeah you know how this is like a very and i think it's less now in horror and correct me if i'm wrong i might be but especially during that time, like the 70s, the 80s, horror yeah. films, it was all about sex. And it was always interlinked in some way. And this is very much that. Like there is yeah. a scene, and I've already mentioned this, but there's a scene at the start of the film where, and I'm going to try and use PG words, which <laughs> I can't. So I don't know. Let me think about it. But the knife with which the victim gets killed, it's almost, it's a sexual act. Yeah. Like there's no other way I can describe this. Yeah. And it's such a strong parallel. Like you know what's going on. Like you know this it's associating this violence and this blood that you're seeing with a homosexual sexual act. And then th- right, think about that watching that in the midst of everything that was going on with the AIDS epidemic. The visualization of that. That's horrific. And it kind of gives the message. The the film gives the message and then watching in hindsight kind of gives the message that even if you're gay in secret, you're not safe. Even if you don't tell anyone what you're doing, you will die. And that's a horrible, horrible thing to represent on screen. Yeah, for sure. It's terrifying. And it's super violent. It's super violent. And there's kind of no nuance to it. It's very much this is what it represents. There's violence and there's sex. And it's the same thing. Yeah. And then police brutality is tied into that as well. That whole scene with Skip being like, so there was a character called Skip who Steve basically thinks is the murderer. So he gets brought into the, the jail and basically gets beaten up in prison and steve says to his superior 
um if i knew that you were going to beat him up just for being gay i wouldn't have like, i wouldn't have brought him in i don't agree with that and that was a really interesting thing to throw in i thought kind of on the flip side yeah in the market for investment worthy bags watches and fine jewelry rebag is the answer Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think so this is we can start talking about this internalized homophobia right which I think is the thread of the entire film like yeah. this is oh, the, for sure. this is the story the story is a story about internalized homophobia I think knowing who the killer is is still vague I'm going to say I think it's it is the cop it is Steve but there's a lot of doubt mm. throughout the entire film and there are different suspects that you think might be the killer, but it all comes down to internalized homophobia. And there's even at the start of film, there's a lot of signs that are showing this, right? So you have, for example, the first victim that gets it's the, the autopsy, there's sperm that is found, but it's kind of what is it, semen without sperm, a spermia? Yeah, so. so- an infertile man yeah. basically right yeah. and this is the man that's having gay sex so there's this whole lack of masculinity and this goes throughout the entire film like yeah. it comes back comes back and this is why we see steve having um sex with his wife because just to feel something yeah and the masculinity needs to be affirmed yeah right and this just keeps coming. This is a thread throughout the entire film. There's there's one guy who we think is the killer for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think actually he. I'm still I'm still confused. Anyway, <laughs> we'll t- we'll talk about that. We'll talk about we'll that talk in about a minute. This. We'll come we'll come to that. But he has this whole relationship with his dad that died ten years ago. That he still talks to, speaks to, writes letters to, mm-hmm. and it's all about masculinity and about having homosexual feelings is wrong mm-hmm. and this is why i killed them you made me do it there's this whole nursery rhyme like you made me do it this is your fault this is your doing look what you made me do look what you this... made me do look what <laughs> you look made, what me, you made do. me do look what you just made me do look what you just made me do. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that anyway that bit with with daddy that is really interesting <laughs> daddy that bit with the dad is really interesting and the reason i said daddy was because daddy issues that is also mixed up in the shame yeah mixed up with the shame and the masculinity and the internalized homophobia interestingly i did a little bit of research into this today and i thought you know at the start kind of in the first part of the film the voice of the killer is dubbed did you notice 
No. So the voice of the killer is dubbed, and it's dubbed with the actor actor's voice who played the dad. Wow. <clears throat> so the voice is the same, I think. So it's dubbed with the father's voice, and it's like, in the killer's mind, his father is the killer. He said, look what you made me do. Like, this is your fault. Um, so his father is always in his mind compelling him to do these acts because he's so ashamed of himself. Again, the internalized homophobia and the frustration about not being able to live openly or, you know, struggling with these thoughts and acts and all of these things. So I thought that was a really interesting layer, which I appreciated from it's, it's very clever filmmaking to make that choice to do that. That is super interesting. And it's actually giving me a new perspective on who the killer is. Like I said, I'm so, still figuring this out. Yeah, because you, you, I mean, you might have changed your mind now, but you said that you think Steve is the killer. Well, and my opinion is that there's two killers. Two killers, right? Yeah, so, so that's have- the killer with the daddy issues. And then, and then in the midst of all of this, Steve becomes a killer as well. That's it. And he yeah. kills Teddy at the end. Because he starts recognizing in with this assignment my opinion is that he starts recognizing these own thoughts and feelings and attractions in himself and he doesn't like it so this is how he lashes out he then starts committing the murders interestingly i'll skip forward a little bit with ted ted is completely separate from this entire plot to the point where i was like why are they why is he in this but then when he is discovered spoiler alert murdered at the end of the film it's ambiguous so that's kind of the only crime that it's like oh well who would have done it if the killer's in prison and then they kind of you know it's very ambiguous as to whether or not it's steve and i thought that's really interesting because he is threatened by like his feelings he obviously really likes ted as a person um and there's a little bit of a scuffle earlier in the film with ted's boyfriend greg and it's like oh was that jealousy it was yeah yeah and like and kind of at the end of the film when you're like why is he dead like what's going on it's kind of that plot twist as to being like maybe that's what's going on and i think we get a hint of this um about halfway through the film where we see the killer committing a murder mm-hmm. and then we cut straight to steve coming home in the kind of the same outfit as the killer had yeah on. yeah and sitting down and having his hands in his hair and being completely kind of distraught. And the first instinct after seeing that is, oh my God, Steve just killed someone. He's a killer. But then you think about it and it's, no, he's not. But th- they're trying to tell us something, right? Like, yeah, that he's wrestling. As if Steve it, yeah, yeah. is becoming or is kind of starting to become yeah, kind of on the same level, right? Yeah. As the killer. Starting to wrestle with the same feelings. feelings. Yeah, exactly. And this is around the time that his relationship with his wife breaks down as well. Mm -hmm. Because he's obviously having very conflicting feelings. And then at the end, even after it's revealed that um, Ted is dead, um, and even like his boss starts being like, oh, who is like, what's going on? Um, But then he goes home and he's shaving in the bathroom and his girlfriend or wife or whoever um she sees the hat and the jacket 
on the sofa and she tries it on with the shades and it's exactly what the killer wore and you're like huh and then it just it pans to him kind of looking in the mirror and that's it and you're like no more okay but that for me was interesting as well because apparently um there's been criticisms for al pacino's characterization of steve and al pacino at the time said um the the film is ambiguous at the end because William Friedkin gave me no direction as to how this character arc would end. Like wow. he didn't give me any information. So that may be one of the reasons why it's ambiguous because <laughs> you know, <laughs> Al Pacino didn't get well, the direction he, he wanted. Like, I mean, uh, just the way yeah. you want. Or it was deliberate. Do you feel gay or like Yeah, you are you feeling fruity? Do you still like women? No. <laughs> um Let's talk. Let's go back a little bit and let's talk about the moment where Steve confronts the killer. We find out that the killer is killing people because Daddy told him to. Um, and we go to that part on the bench in a very empty, dark park, and they kind of they kind of start getting into the groove of what would be a hookup. Um, and Steve says things like right off the bat, like he's so comfortable with saying, you know what do you want like what how are we doing this um like where did you learn that my guy yeah exactly exactly and he knows exactly what to do he's fully immersed himself into this culture and then there's a scuffle and he stabs the killer so the killer ends up in the hospital and gets convicted and or charged or whatever um yeah it's very interesting yeah, that was very interesting. And especially kind of that obsession and that voyeurism again, which mm-hmm. we mentioned earlier. Steve is watching this guy yeah. for days. Yeah. Outside of his window, even breaks into his house, watching him. Then the killer starts watching him. Yes. He starts watching Steve from his window. I, yeah, that's such and a good this, point. They're both kind of in this obsessive little sphere there's so much voyeurism like loving to look yeah. but then also loving to be looked at there's so many layers of it like and they're like just getting off on it <laughs> oh, they are totally getting off on it um yeah so it's creepy it's, it's, it's super creepy so this is happening and that escalates into them actually meeting up right and they both yeah the killer knows that steve knows he's the killer yeah and it's right? so eerie as well like there's barely any score it's silent it's so creepy dark silent they're by themselves yeah everything is tense super tense it's really icky (laughs) yeah that's horrible it is it is and then they start kind of undressing and then suddenly the knives are pulled out right yeah and it's argue with me again but like I said, this horror film feels like the epitome of horror and sex. Mm-hmm. And this scene is kind of like a climax of that as well. Because they both try to stab each other. Steve just gets there first. Yeah. Right. But the knife, as established at the start of the film, is kind of a phallic object. Yeah. In this is, film. is it like they're fighting for dominance? This is a case study of like Freud. Oh, 100%. I would love to read so much more criticism and film theory on cruising. I'm sure there's plenty. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think William Friedkin, just in general, he's 
Um, I th- I don't know if he's a religious man, but I his films definitely carry a lot of religious fear, imagery, fear, like you say. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot there. So, I mean, if you've seen The Exorcist, you know this. Yep. But also in Cruising, it's very much present, even if it's not explicitly mentioned that much. Mm-hmm. The killer, for example, is, an, is a religious man. We do find this out. This is explicitly mentioned. But yeah, there's a lot of it. And it's kind of that other dark side of it. Like, what is the opposite of being religiously correct, right? Yeah. And then we get the dark Sexual side. Sexual deviance. This is the, yeah, this is the dark side. Mm-hmm. Um, so he explores that a lot in his films. And it's super creepy because he does it so well. And this is this is why I think this film is really good. Aside from what we talked about, the themes being a bit super problematic for the time it's just done so well yeah it sneaks up on you all of all of those things they sneak up on you and then all of a sudden you're like oh this is what i'm watching i yeah. see and like you could look at this in so many different like you could you could look at this with so many different perspectives yeah for sure i'd like love every... to be a straight person well i'd not love to be a straight person that's not what i mean but i'd like to <laughs> what i meant to say is i'd love to watch mm-hmm. it from a straight person's perspective and see what they take from it yeah so if you are straight and listening to this podcast and you have seen cruising let us know what you think about it what's your perspective of masculinity or homosexuality how does that yeah. sit with you because I'm really intrigued, actually, kind of how yeah. different people read this film. For sure. And the ambiguity of it as well. The ambiguity, the symbolism, like, again, the knife. Like, the knife is such an important part of this. Just what, even, they have a whole talk about which knife it is, what it's used for, you know, what you can do with the knife. You need to be powerful. Mm-hmm. There's there's a whole scene where the police is talking about if the knife could cut through bones, for example. Yeah. The Oof. first victim that is discovered is disembodied, right? Yeah. So they're talking about if the knife could actually cut through bones. And the the officer is saying, yes, if you're strong enough, but you need to be really strong. So masculinity... Mm-hmm. using the knife it all means so many different things that was an interesting thing about um the body parts at the beginning because they they're found in the water on a boat and then at the end of the film the last shot is of a boat on the water and i, I mm-hmm. wondered what you thought of that because i was like oh it's a full circle moment but i'm not quite sure what well, it I, means i think it's because we, f- we go from one killer to the other killer mm. like it kind of this person has stopped their killing spree, but now this new person has gone into the same routine. Kind Ooh, of interesting. Like because that's what on. we're talking about, right? Like the officer is Steve. We think he killed the last person. Yeah. We see him kind of progressing into this mindset of the killer. Yeah. So. Which is sad because him and Ted were friends. So if he did kill him, it's like literally why he killed him because is- he couldn't have him. Oh, classic, classic. I should yeah. have known. I'm such a true crime fiend. That's literally the textbook <laughs> first thing. If I can't have, have you, no one will. Exactly. He couldn't have him and he didn't want to have him. I should he have seen it. To. Yeah, but he didn't want to. Like, this is this is why he goes back to his wife at the end. Yeah. And it's all good. Because he's, he's, he's literally gone. Like, so this is what happens with his wife. Their relationship breaks down. They take a break. They separate. Yeah. 
Teddy gets killed and he's back with his wife. Literally. Oh, that's so true. OMG. Yeah. It all connects. It's very clever. It like it may it's... be incredibly problematic and it actually wasn't received very well at the time by critics at all. Um, but it is a very well made, well thought out film. It's just there's just so many problems. <laughs> there's just so yeah, many for problems. Sure. For sure. But I also like as a side note, I really like how it's kind of ahead of its time like do you not feel like it's really punky it's like really punk rock everyone's wearing like leather jackets and like chains and different things that i would associate with punk which was very like late 80s 90s scene so again like william friedkin is like this is what they want but we're just not there yet but this is what they'll want yeah we need to do a case study into this man yeah he's married four times to four different women that sounds gay to me yeah right i am looking on his wikipedia page to see if he is it's interesting he definitely had an interest in yeah i think definitely an interest into yeah and masculinity definitely and then obviously you know being gay there's lots of masculinity stuff within that i suppose yeah. Um, I'm just having a look. There's nothing about being gay. No, not that we know of. It's but it does say Friedkin was raised Jewish, but called himself an agnostic later in life. Although he said he strongly believed in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Not surprising. So there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. Raised Jewish, agnostic. But also believes in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So there's a lot of again religious religious no, conflict. Sure. Maybe. Did you ever see the alternative cover for The Exorcist that was just a cross, like the cross? I think so. Yeah. So when I was a kid, my dad had the film on DVD or on VHS. I literally oh. don't remember. This is I was really young. And I remember my mom always saying when my dad was watching The Exorcist, I was not allowed to go into the living room. But one time I saw the DVD cover and this is just burned into my memory because it was the cross and it was terrifying. And I didn't even grow up religious, but I remember this image so vividly and them telling me that it was the film The Exorcist. And then when I watched it for the first time when I was like 19 or however old. Oh, wow. Okay. I was like, oh, what does this cross have to do with anything? But listen, listen, this man, it, it it makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, for sure. Because I've seen The Exorcist a million times now. I really love The Exorcist. and Yeah, it's, uh, it's very good. I think the religious themes are so interesting. But then you watch this film and it's not quite horror, but it's definitely not not horror it's a very standout thriller i think like because obviously the exorcist kind of changed the direction of horror in in some ways yeah because it was like was it not one of the first new hollywood horror films yeah alongside rosemary's baby maybe Mm -hmm. you know yeah sure like this was big and you get something so unique like cruising after that it came i just can't get over that it came out at such a heightened moment and this is maybe the big problem with this film it ages and why bad, it was, badly yeah 
Yeah, well, I don't know if it aged badly because looking at it now, we can watch it, right? And it doesn't feel as rough as other films we've watched. But I think, obviously, we have that hindsight of being younger and, you know, we are both lucky in our lives is that we've not experienced as much discrimination. But, like, older queer people or people that have experienced that would watch that film and find that very offensive and aren't perhaps able to look at it objectively like we can. But is the offensive part the film only including the BDSM community or is it the actual crimes that are happening against the queer people in the film? Because Hmm. both are clearly problematic. Yeah, I think... I think, yeah. The limit of representation, I think this is the biggest problem. It's almost saying that this is what gay people are. I agree. I think it's both. I think because of how mainstream the film was when it was released, like it was a it was a mainstream film. It was released into the mainstream, and that would have been what the mainstream audience, quote unquote, would have thought of gay people because of that film. It would have shown, like that's the thing with with queer cinema is that it shows people what to think of gay people but also it tells gay people what to think of themselves yeah i mean sexual deviance like you said everything that this film encompasses is that it tells queer people um sorry i'm using those terms interchangeably but i'm i'm trying to be as obviously as inclusive as possible but it tells queer people you will die Regardless of what crowd you're in, if you're gay, your life is in danger. And then it tells straight people, oh, don't worry, they'll be gone soon. Yeah. And scary. The interesting thing, though, that I found is that I didn't expect the killer to be, I'm going to say gay himself, which oh. I think we can agree on that he is. Yeah, I, I expected that, And it, annoyingly. That it very much being about internalized homophobia. It's not even like an outside crime. And it makes me think of this thing that we've talked about before, but if you're homophobic, you're probably gay. Yeah, right? oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is literally that. You're right? either an asshole or you're gay. Right. Those are the only so, two homophobes. Because <laughs> why else would you care? Yeah. Why else do you care what exactly. gay people do? exactly there's a little there's a little bit in there it's just crying to come out so then it's kind of wondering like how do you reclaim that masculinity back that you think you lost because you're gay yeah right which this entire film talks about is it by killing gay people that give you sexual pleasure first Mm. is it by changing that sexual pleasure into murder which we also see in this film yeah like what do you actually do with it and the film doesn't give it any resolution or any solution and i get that the film is a horror film and you know it's not supposed to end in a happy way Mm -hmm. but there's no resolution so imagine if you're watching this in 1980 and you are struggling with gay thoughts and you think you might be gay yeah and you see this horrible this is this is the issue right with this film and this is why watching it now is a lot less i think problematic 
sure. in our current times is because we have a lot more context and we know that gay people is not just people that are into BDSM, which we're totally fine with now. I think the majority. Yeah. Anyway. Right. But it's just a super small intersection of gay culture and of queer communities. Mm-hmm. Like that's not you don't have to be into that to be queer, openly queer. Yeah. And none of it is bad. If you're no, exactly. so long as you're not, not murdering anyone. Of course. Whatever. Like sex positivity. <laughs> hey, but exactly. But imagine if that's shown as your only option. Yeah, exactly. You're just kind of yeah. like, okay. Um, well, either I commit to this sinful lifestyle that looks awful, or I kill myself, or I kill the others. Yeah, this is it. Th- this is what the like- film is saying. It's your only <laughs> option. Like either you live in this seemingly seedy dark underground it's literally underground yeah or you die and it's like cool okay that's cheerful isn't it (laughs) happy halloween yeah and then aside from that the other angle i think where this is problematic is yeah well would you recommend this film to a friend yeah i would now yeah I think now, I think I think it's a good film. I really think so. Yeah. I think now where we can look at it from this the perspective that we live in now, yeah, for sure. It's really thought provoking. I think I think when I finished watching it, I was like, huh. I went in knowing its reputation and I didn't like it, but I did. Yeah. And I, I'm re- I'm still wrestling with that, I think. I didn't expect to enjoy it. I think the other side of this film is how it shows or exploits gay people for pleasure and for horror and kind of violence. And trans people because too. Trans people, queer people, just a queer community. Mm-hmm. Because this the entire film, it's very isolated. We don't get much um, width in the film. Like it's very much the underground queer community and like the police. Right, those are the two, the only two areas we really get to see, but it exploits gay people very much. Yeah, for violence, for sex, for all of that, and I think this is the other problematic side of the film. Um, and there's a lot of films that came came out of this time period that exploited minority groups. We know this. Yeah, whether it's race related or religion related or sexuality. Um. And I think looking at this now from where we are now, it's a lot easier to digest and kind of place into a box of, okay, this is this is exploitation, but we can look at it now. Yeah. But I think that is just a really problematic thing when it was happening at the time, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like this is exploiting the gay community because that community did actually exist. I don't know. It's a, it's a really interesting one. I think... I think it's good for what it is. I think it's a good horror film, a good thriller. I would probably classify it as a thriller. Yep. Um, I think it's really good. I think he's an excellent filmmaker. Oh, so William good. Friedkin. Um, obviously, I think it's a very privileged position where we are now, where yeah. we can look back on this and look at it as a kind of what we talked about last time. You know, it's frozen in time. It's it's a time capsule of that time period, and of the problematic. Um, views that people had on queer communities in that time period Mm -hmm. and it's a lot easier to watch this now I can imagine that it wasn't back then and I completely acknowledge that and I don't think 
it was right for the time and i don't think it's right in every way i think it does a lot of wrong things um but as kind of like a piece of art that was made in that time looking at it now i can appreciate it queen of the podcast this month goes to joyce (laughs) please (laughs) it's 11 p.m (laughs) on that note Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of Gay Actually as part of the UK Film Review podcast. If you like this episode, we do episodes on this podcast on the third Thursday of every month. So make sure you tune in. We are around. Um, There's also some really cool other series on this platform that are probably doing some very spooky fun things for Halloween. So <laughs> Check do you want to tease what we're doing on gay actually our personal channel this month yes so we are doing a halloween episode we are going to be in the spirit of halloween and in the spirit of queerness we are going to be talking about the queer web series but specifically the web series carmilla and throwback if you like lesbians if you like vampires if you like really fun low budget web series which were a huge phenomenon in the mid 2010s watch carmilla in anticipation honestly i will super fun it's on kind of tv on youtube they have playlists for all of the for all of the episodes and all of the seasons there's four seasons which is rogue it was like the queer web series in like 2017 yeah, or whatever this was big yeah no, it was i think it was um, even earlier yeah I, yeah i remember being it's at right. university when it finished um, i'm trying to think um but it spanned a few We're years old. we are yeah. old <laughs> Uh, we are we are adolescent queers now we're not baby queers anymore (laughs) but anyway uh that episode will be up soon um we've also as i said just done a our last episode was a collaboration with queer girl film club where we talked about lesbian film tropes we've also done a collab on their own channel you should check them out they're very fun if you would like to find more of us off of spotify and our two platforms we are also on Instagram at Gay Actually Podcast, and we also have an email address, gayactuallyuk at gmail.com. Send us emails, please. I, actually, I love it. I actually haven't checked the inbox in a while, so I should probably okay. do that. But rest assured, that. I am there. I am watching. Tell us what episodes you want, because this is the kind of stuff I want in the email inbox. Yes, tell us what you want to listen to, please. Um, Tell us what to watch. (laughs) We cover films on UK Film Review, but on our Gay Actually platform on Spotify, we don't just cover films, we cover TV, we cover culture, we cover web series. series. (laughs) Jinx. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so let us know. Thank you so much, Joyce, as always, for chatting about gay shit with me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure every single time. Stop it. (laughs) Thank you so much, everyone. Take care. Stay safe. Have a lovely, happy and safe Halloween. And goodbye. Bye. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.